What's good with you guys? Thank you for joining me. I'm Johan Francis CSCS and welcome to my show, Ego Killer. It's right here on this show where we talk all the moves that you need to be making inside the gym so that you can move literally outside in life a lot better. It's where we practice dealing with the entropy of a world that doesn't mind throwing everything at us. When we're outside, right, accidents can happen. We need to be ready. Our body needs to be primed. And a lot of the years of fitness, bodybuilding, doing strict lifting, doing strict 10 reps, whatever it might be that's strict inside the gym, well, we're learning that that stuff really doesn't apply outside in life. And so these days, strength and conditioning and strengthening the body, mobility and calisthenics, kettlebells, these things teach us that we can overcome the entropy of an outside world that cares very little about your ability to military press 200 pounds overhead. And boy, if you're doing that, wow. Right? What I'm trying to say is outside world filled with obstacles, filled with barriers, our bodies more than capable to get over and get through. That's why we should spend a lot of time inside the gym working with our kettlebells. A long time ago, I remember I was lifting at the gym and I was in my physical peak, me personally, and I felt good. I was trying to incorporate all types of workouts into my regimen. I was doing my style of lifting, which I call, um, which when I train other people, I call it base lifting. I focus on an energy system for the day. I do compound lifts and then to those compound lifts, I attach other moves which don't assist necessarily the lift. Like if I do bench press for the day, I'm looking for a certain rep count and rep range. The other moves I do don't necessarily assist my bench pressing, but they assist the um, energy system that I'm working. So they assist in the reps and set counts. And it's a lot easier if you guys take a look on the website for exactly what I mean. But if I'm lifting for short, heavy, well, the rest of the lifts that I do for the day after doing short and heavy for bench press, for example, the rest of the day I might spend doing a bodyweight series where instead of doing low reps, I do high reps. And that actually helps our body recover. It helps us focus more energy on the heavy lift. Okay, that's a base training. That's the method that I employ. So I was out here doing that, and I was lifting probably more weight than I ever have in my life at this time. I'm able to recover early. It's great. One of the things I remember doing at the gym was I used to always go out and gather all the kettlebells that the gym had. Now, this is at a time when kettlebells weren't really really popping like they are now. Now they're popping there at every single gym. If you don't have kettlebells at your big box gym, it's like, yo, did you run out of money like right before you got to Amazon? So nowadays, you need to have those things up in your big box gym, in your garage gym. You need to have them kettlebells lying around. Well, what I used to do is I just go ahead and do my base training, but I'd always use kettlebells. And so I would actually take it a step further. Sometimes when you're me, you know, when you're a lot of the coaches and friends that I've grown up and come up around, you've been in the gym a lot. And so you're looking for ways to make it more exciting and fun and dynamic. When I was a kid and you're lifting, I'm sure you guys have similar experiences where like you're doing your 8, 10, 12 lifts and then you're chilling. And then you do it again and then you're chilling or you're talking or you're hanging out, whatever it is. You're not recovering actively, you're chilling. And that's fine. But when we're building strength, we want to fill those spaces of chilling with something else. 
This is kind of the revolution of strength and conditioning. Lodi's past 15-ish, definitely 10 years. And so what I used to do to make that more dynamic was I'd bring the kettlebell with me like it was my pet. So I'd bring this kettlebell around with me if I was working. So I might have been doing heavy front squats for the day. Right next to me, there'd be my kettlebell. And I remember this one trainer, he was talking to one of my friends over in the corner, and he's like, and this this man was a trainer, by the way. And I remember he goes, huh, what's with all the swingy shit? In reference to me doing my, my uh, kettlebell work, maligning my effort. And I overheard him. And I remember thinking, and he's talking to one of my boys, and he goes, yeah, that's different. And I remember thinking, like, you're a trainer, my friend, and you don't know about the swingy shit? Come on. But that goes to show how less popular it was. And I'm talking, like, maybe almost 10 years ago at this point. Right? And I remember thinking, yeah, the swingy shit, the stuff that actually gets you really stronger. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a case for you about why the oddest things in the gym, the kettlebells, they look odd. But that's why you should be working the swingy-ish is you need to do the thing that takes you out your comfort zone on occasion in order to get yourself a lot stronger. Now, if we're talking about the case with kettlebells and we're building a case for why you should do it, you need somebody to teach you how to do it, right? Many moons ago, many, 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 15-plus years ago, I had a guy. That guy actually helped co-invent the mobility stick. Maybe you're familiar, but he taught me because he was what you call certified with the Russian Kettlebell Federation. He's certified. So he taught me everything about kettlebells many years back when those things were a rarity. In fact, he and another guy in our gym actually went ahead and bought a bunch of those things and brought them in of their own volition out their own wallets. They dug deep in the pocket so that everybody could use their kettlebells and everyone started to learn how to use it. This was not a popular thing. I think the dude who really popularized, you know, like that Pavel Tatsuin man, the Russian man, the enter the kettlebell man. These are all things you can Google. Um, I'm rushing through this part because it, it, you know, it matters not much. But there was a dude named Pavel who really brought it into this country because these are ancient, um, almost medieval accessories kettlebells right there's a whole history of it being part of the russian um kingdoms uh farmers used to use them and then they figured out that instead of using them as balances they could lift weights with them great right but the point is besides their odd origin story they look weird and they're called kettles because they look like kettles and it's like really you're gonna swing these things around and get stronger yeah that's kind of how it moves that's kind of the play all right. Even the moves you perform with them look kind of funny, don't they? They do look kind of weird. If you've seen someone doing a strict kettlebell move, you might think that they're having some kind of spasm. And you're like, maybe your spine's going to dislocate itself. And that's why you need somebody who's pretty adept at doing this stuff to teach you how to do it. Now, over the years after that guy taught me, I actually had to test it against other RKC2, which is the top cream of the crop certification for it. I had to have those other people, you know, I had to show them receipts, and I did. And I must say, I passed. Furthermore, more and more people over the years have figured out how to get certified in this themselves. And look, it's kind of like a martial art, meaning you never really master it because there's so many new moves that you could throw 
into the mix. There's so many dynamic shifts. There's so many planar shifts. You could go from transverse to frontal, frontal to sagittal. You could switch hands midair. You could juggle. You could do it hard style, soft style. There's all of these complex, high-level, um, instead of just a nominal, empirical way of doing this thing. Kettlebells are the business. All the swingy shit in the world, that's going to get you stronger. So as I build a case for why they look odd, let me also reinforce that case by sharing with you guys why you need to be getting dipped with the kettlebells, okay? You have to. You j Look, you have to. I don't think this is beyond argument. You just have to do this. Have you guys messed with this already? Or are they still at your gym collecting dust? Because people forget about them. I know oftentimes you go into the gym and they're sitting back there in the corner. It's like, hey, what do I do with these? Of course, it's easy now to go onto YouTube and look up uh, a million videos on how to do it. But you really should do that. You need to get into that. Because kettlebells, man, if you learn to toss those things around, they can really build your strength. So I'm going to talk about three ways that you're going to roll kettlebells into your workout regimen in order to help you guys build some serious strength by doing all the swingy shit in the world. All right. The first way that I can think of before we get into the three is these, the kettlebell moves need to replace all the minutia of strict dumbbell movement. If for no other reason, they provide more specificity to the outside world. Like we talked about, and like I always talk about the specificity is important when you're working out because it's like why are we training what are we training for well we're training so that if anything bad happens out in the real world right we're not just training for if bad happens but if an accident were to happen if you're almost about to rear end someone you have the reflexes yeah you have the muscle memory there attached to your body and you're able to respond it's a good thing to be able to respond to the entropy of the world Next to that, lateral to that, maybe even more so than that. A more mickle reason why you might work out has to do with your mood. We want to have, a, we want to feel good when we do the thing. When we go out here and we're grinding day after day, we want to teach our bodies how to grind. Well, how do we adapt to the grind? Well, we adapt to the grind's entropy and uncertainty. That's the way we move, right? Kettlebell workouts are a good way to kind of replicate that in daily life. And so when we look to just do strict lifting all the time, that builds strength. It builds specific muscle tensions and size and even endurance, right? It builds muscle stamina. These things are phenomenal. These things are really good. But imagine being explaining the specificity of your overhead press to somebody. Like, why are you doing overhead presses so heavy? Like, oh, just in case I'm on in the uh, Walmart and the bag of dog food, 50 pound bag of dog food falls from the top shelf or I'm at Home Depot and you know I need to go and climb to get one of those mini fridges off the top shelf. It's like, well, there's no real specificity to a lot of our open chain lifts. And dumbbells typically oftentimes are open chain lifts. Of course, like anything else, you can make these things open or closed chain, but if we have an open chain, it usually means, and what this should mean to you guys is that your open chain lifts are targeted towards one or, well, definitely one, maybe two muscle groups. And the nature of using dumbbells, because they're at the end, you're holding on to them. You can't hold on to them with your legs. You can't, you know, um, 
you can't i mean you can nowadays there's this thing called monkey feet where you can attach them to your legs you can rack a dumbbell right but by and large all of the traditional moves that we do when we're talking reverse flies when we're talking rows these are open chain moves that target one or two muscle groups max little restrictive you really can't swing a bell and get the dynamic transverse movement that you can when you swing a kettlebell. So here's how you guys need to be rolling these kettlebells and doing the swingy shit. <laughs> here's how you need to be rolling them in, all right? So here are my three ways to roll them in. Number one, you're going to replace any dumbbell set that you are doing at least twice a week with your kettlebells. So traditionally, you are doing your compound move. Maybe you do two, right? Compound move. You do your squats or your deadlifts or your bent rows, whatever. And then after that, you might move forward into the dumbbells. Okay, and then now your dumbbells become the open chain maneuver where you reinforce what you just did. So you did your quads, now you're doing your hamstrings or whatever. You're redoing the squats now you're doing it with dumbbells so that you can get a little bit more range maybe you're suitcasing your dumbbells for lunges sounds traditional doesn't it sounds a little quotidian too doesn't it isn't this just like what you read out the magazines isn't this something that you could replicate at your house pretty easy I'm not saying that, that there's no value in doing that there's definite value in building strength there's definite value in build open building open chain strength never never quit that but by and large, what you could do is you, instead of atomizing your workout down to that dumbbell section where you're just kind of chilling with the dumbbells, right? You're doing reverse flies. You're doing lunge to curl, which makes it a lot more dynamic than what it would be if it was just lunges or just curls with your dumbbells. You take your kettlebells and you add in a rack movement. You add in a press to rack. You add in a swing in between your lunges. You walk while swinging your bells. Now this thing becomes super, it goes between open and closed chain. When we're doing our closed chain, we're working so many different muscle groups at once, not just one. That, what, by the way, off the top of the head, is what you define as closed chain. I mean, there are more to it than that definition. It's a little bit more complex. But ostensibly, if you think about closed chain workouts as moving multiple parts of your body because... The top and the bottom of the moving joint are locked in place. So you have all the space in between. Think of a chain, right? Chains attached, a literal chain is attached from one side of a wall to another. In the middle, you have all this freedom of movement in the middle, but the top and the bottom or the two ends are attached, right? And so you get to move in all of these orbits at once. Now imagine if you cut one end of the chain off and it hit the floor, Right, it's stretching across the room, hits the floor. Uh, from where it's attached all the way pretty much to the tip that it's not attached, so the full length of it, well, that's mostly, mostly anchored in one spot. So there's no freedom at the bottom and then a ton at the top. That's the domain when we talk about physiology and um, kind of kinesiology, right? Strength. That's the place where we work. So um, you, could, you could be on your back and doing bench press and the barbells, the dumbbells in this case, 
are that loose end of the chain. Okay? You got your dumbbells in your hand above your head. The dumbbells in your hand above your head is a loose part of the chain. And there's all kinds of examples of this. Just to go through it real quick about closing open chain. Uh, that's high level right there. That's that high level uh, strength of vocabulary uh, lexicon there for you. So that's why we want to make sure that all this stuff is closed chain. And a great way to do that is to hit it up with the bells. You know, the second part of this is going to be performing swings is a beautiful warm up. So when I have my folks, my trainees, we're out here in the gym, we're working our swings. I'll actually put them through maybe an EMOM or I'll have us do some kind of finisher. In that finisher, I could predict most people, 50%, right? The great majority of us are going to do like with your preferred weight, 26 pounds, 35 pounds, right? 20, uh, 20 kilos, 16 kilos, 12 kilos, okay? You take that bell, you swing that sucker for a minute. Right, do all the swingy shit for a minute. You're gonna end up between 30 and 42 on average. Now, there's some people that blow that right out the water. Right, I'd like to say I have a PR that's a little bit higher than that. With a little bit of work in your technique, you can get there too. But this is a great warm up. That's in one minute. One minute you're doing 30 reps. That's the point. Now you can do that with a barbell. You can get warmed up with that. But if you're doing your swings, you're working so many more muscles. We talked about it being closed chain. We talked about for your hips. We talked about it being close chain for your hips. We talked about it. Um, the movement that you need is a lot of planes at once. You're working side. You're working transverse. And so because of that, you're working so many muscles in all different directions. So you're matching up with the outside world, aren't you? You're matching up with the entropy of the universe, right? You're matching up with what you do on the outside when you, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, we're about mimicking and counteracting the entropy outside. And that's why swinging shit matters. So performing swings, doing five minutes where you rest, maybe do one minute, rest for a minute, do two minutes, rest for a minute, three minutes, rest for a minute, six minutes right there. That's a beautiful warm up. It's a lot more dynamic than being on the treadmill. It's a lot more dynamic than being on the stepper. Jumping rope, also very, very cool, but there is something brilliantly muscular about doing your kettlebell moves. The swingy shit, get your legs, get your hips, get your core, all of that active. Keep working with the swingy things, right? Get the warm-up in the cardio and the muscles. And the third one is you could build a huge long-duration workout out of this. So instead of just doing that one and done thing, we are not front runners, right? Right, family? <laughs> we already established that we're a lot of things, but none of those things are front runners. We're here for the long haul. We're not one and dones. We train for duration, except when we spe specifically look for power gains. When we look for power and plyometric gains, that's in the short term, right? That means I'm here for a short and a good, not a long. That's power day. But by and large, every other day, even if we're talking about strength, we are thinking, I'm here to be a while. Ain't no front runners in this. I expect you guys to be able to go. I expect you guys to understand. And I know you guys do. You can do anything for 30 seconds. You can do anything for 30 seconds. You get, look, 
All right. Someone pulls up on you, wants to relieve you of your shit. Right. You're going to give them a good fight for 30 seconds. And then they're going to egress, hopefully. <laughs> My point is just you can do a lot under peril or duress or if you have a focused mechanism for exercise, whatever that is, you could do anything in 30 seconds. So why train for just that? We're going to do the thing that gets us along. And when we're talking about doing the swingy shit, working with our kettlebells, could be one or two bells. When we're talking about working with those, we can stack things on top of each other. Okay. For me, a long time ago, I used to really in the gym, I used to, like I said, I used to carry around the pet kettlebell. Well, sometimes I pull up, I have about six of those things going from really heavy to light. And along the way, I'd have maybe doubles of a medium-sized bell. So I'd sit there with six bells. I'd get my timer and I would do one minute on, one minute off. Then I do another set for a minute, set B, let's call it. Then I do set A, then I'd be off for a minute. Then I'd add in set C, set C, set B, set A, a minute each, take a minute off. Then I do it four times with a new set D, C, B, A, four in a row, one minute each, take a minute off. That was my mode. And it was, it was dope. I loved doing that. By the time I got to five or six minutes, you could do the math. It was about a half hour in, about 30, 32 to 35 minutes, right, of me just working kettlebells. By the time I got to the fifth minute, where I'd do five, four, three, two, one of a minute each. By the time I got to that point, the fifth minute was the hardest one. So I would flip the kettlebell over, right, and do some rows. Bottoms up rows. I would do um, dual snatch. Something stupid explosive <laughs> where I could only do it for a minute. And this is a beautiful way of getting a 30-minute blast in with kettlebells. Matter of fact, I think I just came up with the idea for what we're going to do tonight. See you later if you're nearby. Nonetheless, this is really about how to set up something kind of long-term. Whenever I have, I'm fortunate enough to go in there with the fighters, we do what I call kettlebell flows. Where we flow from one position to another in between dynamic moves involving lots of calisthenic and body weight, ending in finishing positions or end ranges where that kettlebell begins and starts a kinetic motion. So... Maybe the kettlebell will end in a rack position. Well, we'll go from racking on the right side, down to the floor, sweep over to the other side, come back up into that rack position. There's one flow. And I know it's hard to imagine just through words, like verbally, how are you going to do it? Well, that's why I got the website, man. I got you. So go to that website. Go to CoachJohanCSCS.com and just search for kettlebell flows. It's there. You can go to my YouTube also. And hell, you can go on YouTube and find kettlebell flows. I think I have some um, some some unique ones myself that, uh, again, mine combine the best of what we know about the body. I don't just regurgitate other folks' stuff. Um, me and other quality coaches, we're going to understand how to put your body in advantageous positions to be from beginning to end. And so with a kettlebell, 
and uh, that's what our flows are going to be based on. It's like, what position is good? Let's begin and end here. So that's just that's the skeleton. That's the anatomy of a great kettlebell flow. And that's just a good way. So if we're going to go over it again, let's go over it again. The first is replace the tedium routine trite dumbbell situation that you have with kettlebells. Start racking, start snatching your bells. Number two, perform swings as a warm-up. You can stack them onto each other if you want to, but that's a beautiful warm-up, and it gets the job done. And then three, build that all into a long-term workout. You can try EMOMs. You can do multiple kettlebell flows, all right? So next time someone presses you about the swingy shit, let them know. There's more to it than just doing weird stuff for the sake of being odd. Those curios collecting dust in the back of the gym that harken back to a time dated before now up in Russia somewhere. Those are actually the best implements in the room, especially if you're training for some kind of event that requires both power and endurance. So they may look odd. The moves might look odd too. But trust me, if you use them on a regular two times a week, minimum of 30 minutes every, every time, you're going to get the best out of your body. And you're going to get it in a way that you can't really mimic with anything else inside the gym. All right. So give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. Uh, EgoKillerShow.com. Fill out the form at the bottom. Let me know how this one goes for you. You like the episode? Go to Apple Podcast and rate me. Five stars gets you a free gift. I promise it will. With that, I hope you guys have a good week. And stay up. <laughs>